in First Corinthians, and uh, we are continuing really from where Jim left. Uh, my portion is the second part of chapter 7 of First Corinthians, uh, beginning from verse 25 to the end of the chapter. We'd remember last week, uh, Jim, that he was dealing primarily the passages. The first half of the chapter is dealing uh, mostly uh, with uh, married uh, couples. Um, uh, the teaching about uh, those that are married, but also equally, um, the today's portion is about singleness. Those that are single. Uh, because the chapter 7 really touches on both areas. And I think it would be helpful to remind ourselves that these were specific questions that the church at Corinth had passed to the apostle um, uh, to, to address. And so we're going to read, I'm going to read very quickly uh, from my Bible. You can follow from yours if you want, from verses 25 to the rest of the chapter. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that had obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. I suppose therefore that this is good for the present distress, I say, that it is good for a man so to be. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. But, and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she had not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not, and they that use this world as not abusing it. For the fashion of this world passeth away. But I would have you without carefulness or without anxiety. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married Carried for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. There is difference there. There is difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman carried for the things of the Lord, but she that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married carried for the things of the Lord, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit. Not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that you may attend upon the Lord without destruction. Verse 36. But if any man think that he behaveth himself uncomely towards his virgin, if she passes the flower of her age and need so require, let him do what he will. He sinneth not, let them marry. Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but a power over his own will, and hath so decreed in his heart that he, he will keep his, his virgin, doeth well. 
So then he that giveth her in marriage doeth well, but he that giveth her not in marriage doeth better. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband he be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she so abide after my judgment. And I think also that I have the spirit of God. And always we trust that the Lord will bless the reading of his word. Now, when we look at verse 25, verse 25 is one of the verses that has been picked by many uh, to infer that um, this is Paul speaking. This is not inspired at all. Uh, this is just Paul the chauvinist just laying down the burden and cracking the whip, you know, because he was single. We should remember that here the Apostle Paul is almost like being sarcastic in a way. He had this language of using um, against uh, the backdrop of the context. So let us remember that here the Apostle Paul, as he writes the letter to the church at Corinth, his authority is being challenged, so to speak. There are people who think that they had the monopoly of the spirit of the Lord. So the Apostle Paul here, when he says that, um, I have no commandment of the Lord. Basically what he's saying is exactly what Jim said previously as we were looking to, it is in the first half of the, of the passage, that what he's saying is he doesn't have a code, right? So there are passages that the Apostle Paul would dictate as a quote from the Lord. Uh, for example, Jim read um, um, uh, from, uh, for us in verse 10 of chapter 7, and unto the married I commend, yet not I, but the Lord. So he would quote what the Lord had said. But what he's going to address here for singleness is not a verbatim quote that he would quote from the Lord. But he sort of preempts his doubters those who were already challenging his authority at Corinth to say, actually, as I say these things, I do not say them as somebody who just thinks up these things, but I am saying these things as somebody who is faithful to the Lord. No doubt this cast back to Acts chapter 9 when at the conversion of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul could say specifically that the Lord chose me. No man chose him. The Lord chose me and entrusted me with this ministry. Now, we know the Lord uses us in various ways, but in a specific way, there is nobody today who is like the disciples. The Apostle Paul could point and say, actually, all of you, Lord, I am the one amongst the rest of the disciples who can say the Lord actually picked us for this ministry. 
Because he rendered us to be faithful to carry out this work. So of all the opposition and all the gainsaying that is happening within the congregation, actually, I am the one, the only one amongst you, whole Lord, that could say that I have been entrusted with this ministry as a faithful one. So he preempts these doubters to assert his authority to say that even though he cannot quote verbatim, but he has been entrusted to be the medium through which God is going to communicate to us these things. So he's going to address these, these things not just as a mere mortal man. Yes, he is a mortal man, but he is also somebody who has been specifically picked by the Lord to perform this function which none of his doubters could claim authority more than him. So this word is no less inspired in as much as way is if we are asked today what does the Lord say about gums you will not find gums in the Bible what does the Lord say about scripture about television you will not find television in the, in, in, in the Bible but here the Apostle Paul would lay down these things with an authority that is more than you and I would have pertaining, pertaining these other aspects of life. So, this part is no less inspired, is just as inspired as it comes from the same apostle who has been addressing the first half of this chapter. So, what are the things here? I suppose, therefore, I think this is helpful to look verse 26 in the same context up to verse 31. I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress. I say that it is good for a man to be so. Are thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Are thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. But if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. Now, the apostle makes it very clear that he is not falling or approving one side over the other. Because it is easy to say, what he's going to say, it is very easy to interpret for people who casually look at this scripture to say, oh, so the Apostle Paul prefers, prefers this or that. There is no sin here in the things that he's going to talk about here. But he is going to give the mind of the Lord to us as to the practicalities of these matters. So there were people perhaps who were married who thought that by the virtue of being married, they in themselves were then therefore in a spiritually high position. And also equally, there were people who were single, people who were not married, people who purposed not to be married in their lives, but for the reasons that they misunderstood to think that by virtue of being single, they thought that by being single, they were therefore in a position, a spiritual position, that was better than those who were married. Far from it. Because the Apostle Paul then says, look, if you are married, good. If you are single, good. If a single person gets married, it is not a sin. 
So these things are on equal platform, but they are practical realities about these statuses that people need to consider, people to look at. Right? So, I suppose therefore that, that it is good for this present distress. So he's going to talk about these distresses. And then he says, nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. It is a practical reality and a truth that for those that are married, there is an added extra responsibility. I know that myself. I was single for quite a long time. I could jump into a plane and go anywhere I liked, anytime. I used to travel with Jim around the country. I was free to do that. Right? He didn't have to give me notice. He can just call me up. There's outreach there. There's a, I'm in gym. I jump into the car. That's it. We're gone. Because I was single. So there, there is an advantage in that. But the Apostle Paul is going to bring out these realities to say it is of a truth of an extra responsibility when you are married compared to when you are single. But the verse that really touches me here is this is 29 to verse 31. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that they have wives as though they had none. And then he's going to list a category of situations. Now, Maybe in the West, it doesn't come so much. But I know where I come from, in Africa, and also in the Middle East. It is a cultural issue that the status of singleness and marriedness ranks you in society. If you were single and you were of age, of marriageable age, it was something that in the society people would be preoccupied with. So equally, for those that were married, it was in the society that those that were married were preoccupied with marriage, with the marriage issues. These issues became a central issue in their lives that they actually determined whether they were happy or not. They actually determined whether how they conduct themselves in society, whether they will do things or not do things. They were so central to people's lives that they became almost, the very, almost an object of their very existence. Those who were married, they were mourning about how marriages, their marriages are what, what, what. And those that were single were mourning about being single. But what the apostle here tells us is that, look, you are losing sight of the real thing. The reality is the Lord is coming. The time is short. Whether you are married or not, whether you have possessions or do not have possessions, and whether you are using things or not using things, 
Whatever the issue is that is so preoccupying your mind that it is now the central focus of your very being. The Lord is coming. It makes no difference. In the great scheme of things, it makes no difference. Because when the Lord comes, whether you are married, whether you are single, whether you have a car or don't have a car, all these things will become non-issues. I think you would have to go to a society where these things are very prominent to fully appreciate this. I know some people who go to the extent of being depressed either because they are married or they are single. Now, I'm not trying to pray to be light on these things and make them as if they don't matter. They do matter, those things. But our, our perspective should be a correct one. Our view in our dealing with these things, we should pay proper attention to the greater scheme of things, which is the Lord is coming. That's what matters. The Lord is coming. Whether we are single or not, the Lord is coming. And that is what the, the overriding a point is. But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried carried for the things that belong to the Lord. How he may please the Lord. It is true, isn't it? When you are single, you do not have an obligation, humanly speaking, to anybody else. And if you are you are functioning for the Lord, if you are working for the Lord, it is just a fact that you are freer. You are more available for the use of the, for the, use for the Lord than a person that is married. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. Now, this does not mean that those that are married are, are worldly, and those that are single are spiritual. That's not what this, this verse means. It just means that for those that are married, they have the extra responsibility to their wives, which is a worldly care, which is a care that is of this world, for this world. Okay? Marriages and all these things, they are for this world. When we get to heaven, there are no marriages. So it is a truth that for the married people, the, there is that extra responsibility to the spouse. There is difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cared for the things of the Lord. The, the unmarried woman cared for the things of the Lord that she may be holy both in body and in spirit, but she that is married cared for the things of the world. Now, does this mean that uh, the sisters that are single are holy? holier than the sisters that are married. This is not what the verse means. This verse means that for the sisters that are single, both physically and spiritually, they can be dedicated, dedicated to the Lord. Whereas for those that are married, physically, they cannot be fully 
dedicated to the Lord in the sense that they have practical responsibilities that are physical, that require their attention, that have a demand upon them. Whereas for a single sister, she is free of those things. She can do those things freely because she has no hindrances. And this I speak for your own profit. Not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction. So he's saying, look, I am not imposing a status upon you. I am not saying this is what you should be. What I am saying to you is, I am telling you the practical realities that concern these two different statuses. And because of your status, it can then affect your availability or your practical usefulness to the Lord. Now, if there is a, an emergency, say, in odd hours, right? And there's an emergency within an assembly that needs attention. It is very difficult for a family man, right, to leave his family at 11 o'clock at night to attend to that particular emergency. Just because he is married, he's got children, he's got, he's got put them to bed and all that. That is a reality of somebody who is married. But for somebody who is not married, it's not a big deal. Their availability is ready because they are not tied down. And this is what is the, the apostle is talking about here when he talks about these distractions. There are these distractions that go along with the status of being married. But if any man thinks that he behaveth himself uncomely, towards his virgin, if she passeth the flower of her age and needs so required, let him do what he will. He sneeth not, let them marry. Now, this is one of the passages that are very uh, misunderstood. I think one of the reasons why this is so confusing is maybe because the translation is not very accurate to the original word. The word there, virgin, that is used is the word parthenos, the original word parthenos, which can be used to mean a virgin, which means somebody who is unmarried, or can mean the status, which is virginity. So which means, it's talking about the singleness, the status of singleness. So the, the better way really to read this verse, not that I'm trying to change the word of God here, but I'm just trying to show you what the original text meant to convey across. But if any man think that, if you have a Bible like mine, I mean, think it is very good to invest in a Bible that has got these types of helps because they help you out when you, when you are stuck with verses like this. But if any man, if you look at that man, is actually in italics because really what the passage is, de is dealing with here is genderless, right? It's for both men and, and, and women. But if any man thinks that he behaves himself uncomely or unseemly towards his virginity, if that he 
if you've got my a bulb like mine, you'll see that there is a big, there's an H on top. But the, the plenary reading will say, if she passes the flower, but what really that passage means is, if he or she passes the flower of age, which means if he or she comes of age and need so require, let him do what he will. He sinned not. Let him marry. What that means is, if a man or a woman has a need to be married, right, and they are of mature age, they are of age, let them marry. They say not. This is consistent with what the Apostle Paul teaches elsewhere. We know that in Hebrews chapter 13, for example, he says that, look, marriage is honorable. He tells that, so we know the position that he comes from. And in fact, in 1 Timothy, he actually tells us that actually forbidding marriage is going to be a sign of apostasy at the, at the later end, end of age. It's going to be one of the signs of the end of age when people start forbidding marriage. So it's going to be one of those things that are actually a sign that we're coming to the end. So this is consistent from what he is teaching everywhere else in scripture. So he says here, if a man or a woman in their virginity, they decide they have need for marriage, let them get married. There is nothing wrong with that. They sin not. Let them marry. Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, and that his is actually in italics because it it means both men and women, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will, and hath so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virginity, doeth well. So what is he saying here? If a single sister or a brother has determined in their hearts that they want to be single for the Lord, so be it. Let them be. There is nothing wrong. There is nothing as far as standing with God is concerned that makes them any lesser or any higher than those that are married. So if a brother or a sister wants to stay single, by all means, scripture says it is okay. It is not less. It is not higher. You can get married. So then he that giveth her in marriage. Now this again is, is in italics. But he that giveth in marriage. Is the actual proper context. Doeth well. But he that giveth not in marriage. Doeth better. This goes back to what he has said before. He or she that does not get married. Does well. Practically speaking. It means that they are actually more freer to concentrate on the things of the Lord compared to somebody who is married who has the distractions to look after earthly demands upon them as a married person, the wife, the children, and so forth. So it is therefore, in a practical sense, more advantageous to be single because you are not encumbered with all these demands that demand upon those that are married. But if so, you want to be. So
So be it. It is okay. Now, in of itself, married or not married, is nothing in the sense that it is not in of itself it does not have in of itself virtue. What gives it virtue is when we use these statuses for the Lord. What am I failing to say here is our marriages they are not for us. They are for the Lord. For those that are married, we ought to use our marriages to glorify the Lord. There are marriages, many marriages out there in the world. By, by default from Genesis, all marriages, marriages, the marriage institution was God's design. It's God's plan. Okay? So even those that are not Believers who get married. God honors those marriages because the institution belongs to God. But there is a difference in a Christian marriage in the sense that the Christian marriage is not for them. In the world, the marriage is maybe for to gain tax deductions or to gain... That. I don't know if you've heard about gold diggers. Sometimes people get married for gold digging. Sometimes people they now sign off prim whatever, agreements before marriage. So the whole marriage definition has taken a whole wild definitions and all sorts of things. Because the marriages, they are just meant to save them. They are really just nothing more than some utility which they use for whatever ends that they want. But it is not so for believers. Marriages, they are for the Lord. Marriages are to honor the Lord. And also equally. Singleness is not so that you can go to the Himalayas and to Australia and watch the kangaroos and all that and all that. You can do that anytime. Okay, no, there's nothing sinful in of itself. But singleness becomes becomes has a meaning to a believer when that singleness is used for the glory of the Lord. You'll be able to do more things than married people would for the Lord when you are single. If you're going to get married, I know there are single people here, if you're going to get married at some point, use this time now for the Lord. Because believe me, when you get married, you'll be looking back at those opportunities and they will no longer be available for you. So whether you're single or whether you're married, this is only as beneficial if it is to the glory of the Lord. Now finally, the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she so abide 
after my judgment, and I think also I have the Spirit of God. So now the Apostle here makes a, a comment to the effect that for those that are married, we should remember that as far as Christian marriage is concerned, we don't have an opt-out clause. As long as the husband leaves, we are married. If we discover that our spouses fly on a broomstick at night, tough. Once you have said, I do, tough. You're just going to have to help you get off the broomstick. We marry to commit for life. And I know sometimes it is not as well. Sometimes you wish, you know, you could get a get-out clause, but it's one of those things that really we need to emphasize as Christians. Our marriage is a very special institution. Our marriage is a very special role play that we show to the world. And therefore we can't, we can't temper around with the institution of marriage and be like the world. For as long as your spouse liveth, we are married to them as far as God is concerned. And this also means that we ought to think very carefully when we choose our spouses. It's one of those pledges which, scripturally speaking, once we make them, you can't eat your words back. It is for life. For better, for worse. In good times and in bad times. In good health and in bad health. And if one of the spouses dies, that is the only clause that I see in scripture that allows remarriage. But even then, should only marry only in the Lord. We are not at liberty to marry whosoever we fancy. We have to be very careful how we choose our spouses. Because like I said, our marriages are for the Lord. Our marriages are to glorify him. We are entrusted to keep that institution as an example to the world and to show to the world that we are different. <sighs> I feel a huge load off my, off, my way, off my shoulders now and I'm thankful to Jim who took the, <laughs> the heavier part in the first part of the, of the chapter. And we hope these practical things will be an encouragement to all of us and hopefully that they will transform us to be more like Christ. Let us pray. Our precious Lord and our good Savior, we thank you for these things that you have revealed unto us. We thank you, Lord, that you have a very planned path for us that are yours. That, Lord, you have instructions for us on how we ought to 
conduct ourselves, how we ought to live our lives. In the days that we live in, Lord, where the marriage institution, Lord, is being attacked by the world, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would preserve the marriages that are in this assembly. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would preserve the single, singleness, Lord, that is in this assembly. That whether we are married or we are single, O oh Lord, would be used by you and for your glory. These things, Lord, we pray and commit unto you. And pray, Lord, also for the gospel meeting later on tonight. That, Lord, you bring unsaved in that, and that, Lord, your mess, you give us the strength, Lord, to preach the message clearly for everyone to understand and to the saving of souls. These things, Lord, we ask in your most wonderful and precious name. Amen.